This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Jennifer M. Wilkes, a professor of comparative literature, as well as African and African diaspora studies. This episode is about why apocalypse isn't all bad. In the Bible, the apocalypse is the end of the world as we know it, but it's also the beginning of a new one. Jennifer Wilkes argues that major catastrophes can be apocalyptic in the same way. A disaster like Hurricane Katrina or the COVID-19 pandemic can shed new light on the world's social inequalities, which makes it easier to imagine them changing. Jennifer thinks that post-apocalyptic fiction can play a role in this process by allowing us to think ahead about times of disaster so we can act to make things better when the moment comes. Jennifer M. Wilkes, welcome. Thank you. So we're going to talk today about why apocalypse isn't all bad. And, you know, I think a lot of people, most people, I at least, uh, tend to think about apocalypse as being kind of the end of everything, the, you know, the collapse of civilization, total destruction, everything changes, everything's destroyed. Mm-hmm you know, that sounds pretty bad to me. Um, So is that how you're understanding apocalypse or do you have a different take on it? Um, You know, I think rightly so. That sounds uh, pretty bad. Um, And, you know, I think what you're referring to there is what we might call um, capital A apocalypse, right? So we can think about theology, um, uh, some divine um, plan for the end of the world. Um, but I think what often gets lost in um, hearing and thinking about big A apocalypse is that even in that theological sense, um, the apocalypse is um, something that precedes a new world, right? Um, so it is an end, maybe capital E end, but it is the preface to something new. And we can also think about apocalypse um, in smaller ways, um, although you know some of the examples that come to mind are by no means insignificant. So these are catastrophes that call to mind total destruction um, and the end of the world, um, but do not in fact bring about the, the end of civilization as we know it. Yeah, I'm, I'm almost thinking about like, the cliche phrase of like the end of an era that it's yes. it's mm-hmm. kind of like that but in a non-cliched way that it's like mm-hmm. you know one era comes to an end with an apocalypse and mm-hmm. then there's a new era where it's still kind of up for grabs how things are going to change yes so for residents of the gulf coast in the united states hurricane katrina apocalyptic event and I would say, you know, that those um, small a apocalypses, um, the entire world does not have to come to an end for an event to um, reveal something profound about a society, a community, an individual's life, right? Um, but a major disaster or a major upheaval can prompt that that revelation or that reflection. And I would say, you know, that that revelation, that uncovering 
that's what really interests me about apocalypse. And that's why I don't think that it's all bad because I think that there's this opportunity for reflection and um, you know, potentially for renewal. Yeah. Okay. So, so revelation and clarification. I mean, you know, maybe to to stick with the examples you've already mentioned of mm-hmm. Hurricane Katrina. You know, what what are the potential revelations or clarifications that that came out of those events? Yeah. So, you know, I think for um, something like uh, Hurricane Katrina, um, social inequalities. I mean, I think it it also kind of uh, ripped off the Band-Aid. I don't know what the right metaphor is, but this sense in the United States that everyone that everyone in the United States is middle class. Hurricane Katrina revealed that that is patently false, um, and so I think you know that was one of the clarifying aspects of that disaster. Um, for residents of New Orleans, but also for residents of the, the, the rest of the United States. You know, the experience of Hurricane Katrina revealed that not all New Orleanians had um, the resources to evacuate when those evacuation orders were um, issued. Um, and, you know, one of the really striking things that I remember as a resident of Austin, Texas, which is one of the cities that um, Austin, Houston, Texas also, you know, were two of the cities that um, unhoused or displaced residents of New Orleans were sent to in the wake of Hurricane Katrina, was the, the way in which the language of refugees or refugee status came up and came up for practical reasons, but also in a really uneasy way, because people were asking, how can our fellow citizens be refugees? And again, I think that goes back to um, understandings or lack of understanding about um, social inequality uh, in the US. Yeah. So I mean, what I'm getting from this is that these, these apocalyptic events, they reveal things that maybe were kind of like buried a little bit or that not everyone in the country was aware of. And even if it didn't reveal anything good, right? Like nobody mm-hmm. had a wonderful discovery because of Katrina. Like, mm-hmm. are you saying that there's maybe like a value to bringing those things out into the open, bringing them to light? Yes, I think so. And then that bringing into uh, the light or that act of um, stopping and considering or reconsidering social structures and social relations, Mm -hmm. that then becomes the ground of possibility for rebuilding society and rebuilding it differently. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, and maybe this is also in some sense built into the kind of the like spiritual or biblical capital A apocalypse, but this idea Mm -hmm. that like, the sort of normal ways that society has been working, the kind of the social Mm -hmm. norms, the social conventions, all of those will be maybe not changed, but they'll be up for transformation in this post-apocalypse. Yes, I I like that phrase, up for for transformation, because that conveys the possibility, but also recognizes that that um, change is not a given. Yeah. Okay, so 
So, I mean, as we're talking, I'm thinking about also the phrase like post-apocalyptic and the way that that is kind of a genre of movies and of books. Um, So these kind of these fictional stories that often um, also are about kind of like major disasters and kind of like societies that seem radically transformed from how they were before. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you see as the connection between those fictional post-apocalyptic stories and then the the kind of real life apocalypses that we've been discussing so far. Mm-hmm. So, um, wow. So that, that's a good question. I think that what the fictional post-apocalyptic um, narratives give us is um, they present the imagined futures after the apocalypse, right? So they imagine what the world might be like. Um, let's say if we think about uh, Bong Joon-ho's film, uh, Snowpiercer, after climate catastrophe. Um, if we think about Colson Whitehead's novel, Zone One, what might uh, life be like after a zombie apocalypse? Okay. Um, and, um, and I think that those fictional narratives they can do the imagining for us and often imagine to the extremes in a way that I think um, can be difficult for human beings in the wake of disaster uh, because you're contending with your life in ruins, right? Or with your your family or your friends' lives um, in ruins. And so having the capacity to imagine a future beyond that can be very challenging. Yeah, that's that's interesting to me because it's yeah, like it's not, like imagination is involved mm-hmm. in either case, both the real life and the fictional depictions of apocalypse, right? Like but as as I I think what I'm getting from what you're saying is um you know, for people who were displaced by Hurricane Katrina, mm-hmm. they had more pressing things on their mind probably than really thinking long-term and, you know, how the world might be transformed, right? And so... Yes. Mm -hmm. So is it then that um, these fictional uh, post-apocalyptic stories can kind of give people, when they have time for reflection and are not in an immediate crisis, the chance to think about what might happen after an apocalypse? Yes. And I think that the, the question of what might happen after apocalypse, um, the fictional narratives um, help us work our way through. Um, so with something like Snowpiercer, um, in which um, the warming of the Earth's climate is addressed through an experiment that goes horribly wrong and leaves the world an eternal winter, perpetual winter. Um, And so I would say that something like that, um, again, an extreme, which makes for gripping, uh, a gripping movie uh, watching experience might be a way for those of us living in August, 2021, to wrap our heads around the UN report on climate change that just came out, right? Um, 
Which is not to say that we need to move from this report being released this summer to, oh my God, disaster. But if we can imagine what might happen if we don't act, I think that is a way of getting us to changing our habits, changing our actions such that life on earth can become more sustainable and we don't get to that um, post-apocalyptic society that we see in Snowpiercer. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we are still in a pandemic. We don't know, Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know, how long it will last, how it will resolve itself. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, like, well, I don't even really want to ask if you think this is an apocalypse because I think the answer is clear. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm curious, like, from where we are now, we, we're we not yet in that post-apocalypse, right? Like, we're still mm-hmm. in the midst of whatever it is and might still become. But mm-hmm. do you see things like social conventions, norms, you know, things about how the world works that are already changing because of this? Or is it all just too soon to tell? No, I, I don't think it's too soon, even as we're still, you know, in the middle. You know, I've, I've the current of think piece that um, I've been struck by and that I, I've been following is um, those pieces about um, how residents of the U.S. are recalibrating their relationship to work. Um, and, you know, this is, um, and it's, it's a huge topic, clearly. So this spans the gamut from um, uh, people working in retail who were laid off um, or who have chosen to um, opt out of retail and to pursue other um, right job possibilities because they found that retail work, or in some cases, restaurant work, I've seen restaurant workers um, mention this as well, have found it um, unsustainable. Um, So there's that. Um, I have a colleague at UT Austin who has written about um, the ways in which women and particularly um, women who um, are working mothers have been impacted by the pandemic with the breakdown in um, childcare um, uh, and in-person schooling, right? Those um, drastic changes made working motherhood untenable for many women. Um, And so that segment of the population has been slower to return to work. So I think that there are some changes that have happened, some conversations that we're still in the midst of. Um, You know, I would just go back to that phrase that you used earlier, the possibility for transformation is definitely there. Yeah, you know, what what you've just been saying, um, I've seen kind of, especially, I guess, conservative politicians' responses Mm -hmm. to, you know, restaurant workers, um, retail workers, working mothers, you know, not wanting to go back to work or maybe choosing not to go back to work and Mm -hmm. viewing that as a problem and as something that is, you know, maybe about being kind of lazy or selfish. And I think what, what this conversation, the whole conversation has been giving me is like, oh, we, this is also kind of like potential like societal transformation in progress right? Like this is about rethinking the social norms around work itself. Yes, yes. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why, again, I 
think that apocalypse isn't all bad. Having society ground to a halt can provide an opportunity to stop and to take stock in a way that is not always possible when you are in, you know, in the swing of things. Yeah. Well, Jennifer Wilkes, thank you very much. Thank you, Milan. That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to a bonus clip in which Jennifer discusses how Colson Whitehead's novel Zone 1 depicts people discovering new talents in a zombie apocalypse. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at HowToReadNow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe, with editorial assistance from me, Monsi Garnani, and from me, Tiani Ding. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening.